Hi, this is Leo Cozondin, and I welcome you to my show, Within Conversation, where I get to ask just about anything to all kinds of inspiring characters. We talk about creativity, inspiration, stress, wellness, and to be honest, the list continues. My guest and I spend about an hour or so together and we get to dive into the inner workings of life, including anything to do with the tech world and esoteric realm. So if you want life lessons, routines, stories, inspiration, connection, ideas, habits, ways to deal with discomfort, and ways to find comfort, then this show is for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I must tell you before we go any further that this episode is fortunately powered by turmeric. Actually, let me rephrase that. It's powered by a brand that I would keep to myself if I were selfish, but since I'm not, I'll tell you what it is. It's called Wunder Workshop. It's a pioneering turmeric brand based in London. Now, of course, the turmeric isn't grown in London, so they work with organic community forest gardens in Sri Lanka. Zoe said it's organic, and it is, but she actually explained the whole process, and it's pretty clear that it's more like biodynamic or wild, which is just on another level. Sorry, organic. So they actually make my first morning drink. Of course, they don't come to my house. I make it myself, and I use the shroom powder, which is amazing. They also keep me fueled on those long, long tech days of mine where I'm just staring at a screen for way too long. But that's another story. They keep me on track with their CBD turmeric and olive oil product. You know, I take a pipette and leave maybe three to eight drops, depending on how I'm feeling, under my tongue, and it feels amazing. They also make adaptogen blends, which are brilliant for women's and men's health. In fact, I'm going to take a sip right now. So let's put it this way. Zoe and Tom are turmeric champions, but they're also very generous. And right now, they are giving you, my listeners, a 20% discount on all their turmeric products directly from their website. So there's no fuss. So head over to wonderworkshop.com and enter the code LEOCO to claim your L-E-O-C-O to claim your 20% discount on any product. The address is wunderworkshop in one word dot com. W U N D E R W O R K S 
H-O-P.com. Once again, enter the code LEOCO, L-E-O-C-O, on wunderworkshopinoneword.com when you check out. Enjoy. Today is another day, a day that brings us episode four of Within Conversation, with not one, but two guests. Indeed, today we get to spend time with twin sisters, DJ presenters, entrepreneurs, Lisa and Alana McFarlane, the Mac twins, who I got to sit with in their offices just a few weeks ago. They were really good fun. And I think you're going to laugh a lot. You know, we talk about Jerusalem artichokes consumption, farting, generally growing up and living life as twins, and sending poo by post. (laughs) Alana and Lisa, if you don't know them, have been around the world a few times. They performed at the 2012 Olympic torch relay. They performed at Wireless Festival, Radio 1's Big Weekend. They presented for BBC Radio, BBC News, Channel 4, and ITV. They also write for The Huffington Post, The Evening News, and Standard Issue. But in this episode, we shift our focus away from the stage and onto gut health and their company, The Gut Stuff which they have co-founded with entrepreneur India Wardrop. So the gut stuff is pretty simple. You know, they make gut health accessible and interesting. And actually that's enough and that's won them a couple of awards already, including the DAD Yellow Pencil and Design Week. They host events. They have specialists who write articles on their website and they publish videos in which they themselves deduce scientific papers and teach the public, they teach us how to read clinical studies in short three-minute video clips featured across social media. They're 100% walking the talk and inspiring thousands of people to look after their second brain, I guess, that's how they'd call it, and therefore change the way we feel and we think. And that, my friends, is meaningful work. So without further ado, please enjoy an honest conversation directly from the gut with Lisa and Alana McFarlane. So, Lisa, Alana, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. We're in Camden. It's another sunny day. We've had like two months of sunshine. Now. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That... Long may it last. <laughs> Lots of sweating because you don't quite believe that it is hot, so I still just wear what I would usually wear. <laughs> so just be sort of sweating profusely for two months. Glam. <laughs> well, I'm not very glam today, but that's okay. Nobody, nobody can see me. So. True, true. So, before we get into creativity or stress or both, uh, I'd love to have maybe one or two 
twin stories. <laughs> the first is how has been twins helped you? Um, I think it can be quite, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse really because I feel like in a simplistic way, you kind of got a best friend for life. But um, like in opposition to that is that you have a best friend for life that you have no filter with. And also that you're compared to all the time. And I think that's something that we've always found quite difficult, is that people, even if they see us as different people, want to compare us, so essentially you're put in the same box at the same time. Um, and that's something that we've always really struggled with, and finding our own identities within that, and having separate things has been super important for us. Mm -hmm. And I think, just even touching on the creativity point, um, we have sort of different levels of creativity. Lisa's super creative. Um, and therefore is probably slightly more prone to stress as <laughs> those. Um, and I'm pretty uh, more practical, so a bit more steady. And even managing that relationship is difficult um, as sisters, but working together as well, I think. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I mean, I guess we're all subject to comparison. I mean, if you look at the school system and, and whether, I guess, whether you're a twin or not, you get to compare yourself with your siblings. What did you learn from, you know, this this acute amount of comparison uh, as twins? So we sort of flipped it on its head and sort of did it us against the world type thing mm -hmm. um, and taken on the world. So we sort of teamed up. But there's a lot of studies that show, especially in male twins, that a lot that due to like um, falling out and, and egos, that a lot a high percentage of male twins don't actually speak to each other, um, which is mad. Um, but we sort of had the approach of us against the world, and I think the comparing thing has been a positive in a lot of ways because we're super driven, um, and yeah, not against each other at all, but to sort of driven in work, and and I'm not sure if it's a nature nurture thing, but we've always been quite opposite, and I think there's probably a bit of when we were younger, like oh, I like this, so I like that, <laughs> um, so I think it's probably some of it is probably proactive and reactive in that way. Um, but also, we're mirror twins as well, so our bodies are genetically opposite, and my left side of my brain is actually bigger and stronger, and Alan's right side is, so that's why, I, that's why I'm more creative, like, biologically. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So Lisa's yeah. left-handed and I'm right-handed. And then, just like a little random fact that is just coincidence or fate, is that I was born at 7 minutes to 7, and Lisa was born at 7 minutes past, like a mirror clock, but that's literally just fate, because you can't. That is. Mum couldn't hold one in for <laughs> <laughs> Well, if she did, good timing. Yeah, exactly. She's so old perfectionist, our mother. Did you guys ever pretend to be one another? Yes. Yeah, we did. Our best anecdote, uh, our ditty on that is when we used to swap classes all the time at school. And um, Anna one morning was like, Oh, do you want to go into history for me? And I was like, No, okay, whatever. I was always more studious, and Anna was a bit more wild. Anyway, got into the class and got into the class and I could see Alana's face still at the window and I was like, what is going on? And then our teacher was like, remember class, we've got that pop quiz today, and I had to literally sit and do an exam. And she was at the window like, what? And yeah, got back to my daughter for when she was in one of the science classes and she'd made paper airplanes for the whole class. So I was like, cheers. <laughs> and so that was the last time that we saw classes. <laughs> um, but apart from that, we've never, we had separate friends in primary school, so we didn't. I mean, we get up. We realised fairly quickly when we were younger that if we both ran in different directions, only one of us could get caught. 
So <laughs> it's little things like that, I guess we knew, we kind of figured out that we could be quite a strong force, I guess, with the two of us. Did boyfriends ever get confused? Once I just once, once I kissed a boy that Alana fancied, and then, bear in mind we were about 12, 13 at this point, um, then I had met a boy called Devin, and he, <laughs> on the bus, and we swapped everything addresses, and um, I put an autograph on MSN and decided to meet him, we got along, and then I was had exams, so I was staying in, in studying, and Alana... And then we, I think, I can't remember who asked them to choose, or anyway, Alana said Alana was not going to the pavement, so I was like, fine, and then we asked them to choose, and they chose Alana because she was more fun. <laughs> Great story. And then as we got older, I don't know if it was from that circumstance or what, is that we just chose completely different, like the complete opposite taste of men, um, which was good. A good thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Although now my boyfriend is exactly like Alana, and Alana's husband is exactly like me in terms of personality, so I think we'd maybe just like sort out the young Dorian again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what makes you feel like twins, and what makes you feel like opposites? Um, I think I think they kind of feel united. I always feel like united as twins when we're home. So, like if we're ever in our home environment or with our mum. It kind of feels united and then I think when we're down here um, or in a work environment we I don't know like you feel more like you could be like we fall into roles maybe a bit easier than it, when we were with our mum because it's um, yeah I don't know we were brought up I was thinking about this yesterday actually we were brought up with our cousins as well so Natalie's a year older and you and Z are younger which I think really helped us when we were growing up because it wasn't like all the attentions on us there was four under four so <laughs> Nobody really got a huge amounts of attention. Um, and we played with, we had other people to play with than just each other. But my mum said that when we were sort of just learning to walk and talk, we had like our own language to each other and weren't really interested in anyone else but each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time we got to primary school, we literally weren't bored about playing together at all. Mm-hmm. In the playground, I kind of even hardly remember seeing you. No, I don't remember. No, I think that's been, I think actually that's been the making of us is. Um, is how individual and we had five years apart when I first moved to London and that was a kind of like seminal time for us I think um, and it was horrible because we were had a lot of separation anxiety at the time but we actually found out who we were I think and we get on so much better now because of it. So what was going on in your head at that point when you were separated? Well we didn't we couldn't really finger point it because this was like 12 years ago, well more than that, 13 years ago, and mental health was something that wasn't really talked about openly, um, and separation anxiety obviously fits into that bracket. So to actually talk about our feelings, we didn't, and from a sort of working class Scottish background, it just isn't something that we did. Um, so we knew that like, we were feeling sad and, you know, we were like, super anxious and stressed, but we didn't necessarily know why. And I think as well that might be from when we were born, um, we were really ill and they put us in separate incubators. Um, and then obviously you get that, the separation anxiety is sort of like embedded in you then. Um, now they actually put twins in the same incubators. Yay! <laughs> um, because you think about it, you spent nine months next to someone and then they drive you apart and you've not your mum or because uh, you like, were quite ill. So we, yeah, um, and I think that probably has a lot to do with it, but it doesn't help you. Obviously, at the time, like, mm-hmm. I think that knowledge doesn't really help you. 
And in those days, it, well, in those days, they did go, it wasn't that long ago. They didn't have like FaceTime or anything like that. So it was just literally phone calls. And we had like pay as you go mobiles that we probably hardly had any money on. So we didn't actually even speak to each other that often. No, I think it manifested itself. Like you didn't realize that that was what you were missing. I think it sort of manifested itself in other ways. I um, got OCD at that time, actually, ended up in the fiery um, two years later. And I think a lot of it was because. Um, because of yeah, the separation of yeah. not being together. <laughs> you needed me. I wish I wish I wish I could have a break from that. <laughs> in hindsight, do you think it may have actually helped you? Because you're now working together, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, so being separated for some time, how long was that? It was like from when we were 17 until we were 22. That's quite so, some time. Yeah, um, and I think yeah, I think. It, definitely was the making of us to learn to live without each other um, and actually when we first started working together we didn't want to work together um, and it took a lot of long time to get used to because I think it's quite an important part of your life those years because you're moving sort of from school into uni into the big bad world and to do it separately was great um, but Lisa did it in London and I did it in Edinburgh, two very culturally, two very different places to do it. Um, and Lisa, you know, in London was staying in halls and she was with people from all different parts of the world, whereas I stayed in Edinburgh and in one of my course. So the majority of people were Scottish, I still lived at home. Um, and just, yeah, two very different ways to grow up, really. And so how did you sort of find each other again? Did you start working together as musicians and, and DJs straight away when you were 22? How did, how did it sort of unfold? Well, no, Lisa was um, working uh, as a sort of consultant for the government in arts and tourism. And is that right, arts and tourism? <laughs> um, and I actually was a dancer and I owned my own performing school in Scotland. And then we were out one night randomly at a party and one of our friends who's an actress, his manager, said, have you two ever thought about presenting? And we were like, well, yeah, but you can't really go to uni and train to be a presenter. Um, and we were like, yeah, but we don't want to work together. And he's like, just come in, do a screen test, see how you get on. Um, so we did, and that was at um, MTV. And then at the time, we started working for a student, online student magazine called Bears, which was Kiss and MTV. But this was like, what, seven, six, seven years ago? So an on, it was the first of an online magazine type thing. And we got to be backstage every festival and at 23 we were like this is great and then from then we just sort of got stuck with each other <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it snowballed quite quickly so we um, kind of knew that we were on something and actually um although it was a fight for a lot of it at the start because people obviously thought that the twin thing was gimmicky and that's why we were working together but we had to sort of and convince people that actually we were presenting together because we had a good creative energy, we knew each other, and um, yeah, yeah, we had totally different opinions on things, so it made for quite a good, it was quite a good vehicle for a lot of things. And actually, it was amazing to share those experiences together. Like at 23, we got to go into Tennessee with Jack Daniels, and we did a big documentary there with Bambi, and to be sharing those experiences together and call it work was amazing. So I really want to get into the, the gut stuff, which is your, your thing of the now, mm -hmm. which is really fascinating. Um, but do you think, you know, working away abroad, uh, with a very, very busy schedule, 
the presenters, DJs, do you think that prepared you for what you're doing now? Um, yeah, I think it actually had the opposite effect because we, for five years, never had a routine. We were, we didn't have a base. Obviously we had our homes, but we changed homes quite a lot. We lived with different mates, we lived with our sofas, and we had no routine. It was just, you know, all work. And we weren't really responsible for anyone except ourselves. So, yeah, get like discipline was there because we were ambitious, but not in the way that it is now. As soon as you <laughs> run your own business um, and you have investors and people that work for you, it is nothing can prepare you for that. Nothing does. It is an insane amount of response. When you are responsible for paying people's rent and for people's livelihoods, um, nothing, nothing can like that. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, scary business. Grown up to do. In a short yeah. of time. We literally were like, I mean, we'll come on to this a bit, but like, I mean, we're having to do. Everyone thinks that we're like ambassador, ambassador faces the brand. No, we're like on the phone to trademark and lawyers, mm -hmm. and then doing marketing plans, and then speaking to investors, and then uh, and and now our now the business is a globally recognised <laughs> company, but we still feel like babies running it. So you have to sort of literally every morning pep talk yourself. And I always I used to always think that those sort of like the self help books and all the business books, I'd be like, oh, that's just such wanky nonsense. But now I'm like, no, you see why people need that stuff because you need you're sponging so much that you need tangible stuff mm. to kind of cling on to and actually all of that really helps. So we have a business well Alana's got a business coach now and um, and we yeah yeah we're learning every day on our feet and nothing not no amount of DJing and creativity and what we've done before would ever has ever been able to prepare us for this. How does the pep talk sound like? Is it like a, an individual thing, or do you, do you both do it? We've got a person. We've got a alter ego. Not an alter ego. But we've got a right person called Polly. Um, Positive Polly is her name. <laughs> and um, we kind of used to do it when we were younger. We've just brought it into the business, and now all the staff use it as well. We're like Positive Polly. Just texts everyone. She says that it doesn't matter that we didn't sell these particular day. Well, and actually, um, I think disassociating yourself from your failures. Um, uh, I think obviously you have to own them and understand why and try and move on from it. But I think sometimes this association um, and hearing it from someone else or sort of separating yourself from it um, kind of works for us. So yeah, and the pep talks are just like slapping your face and you can do this. Like I also have to convince myself like, oh my God, you're a CEO. But before going to meetings, I'm like, oh my God, eat that. And I think that um, just the word CEO um, doesn't really mean anything apart from a job role, but I think it's got a lot of gravitas and people use it um, as a sort of like power status thing in business, maybe. Um, and yeah, I guess just saying that to myself helps. Um, and also just coming in and seeing expected faces that work for you in the morning, it's enough to drive you, uh, it's enough to sort of ignite the fire, I think. And I think working with a brand with purpose, for a brand with purpose, and um, for a bigger picture, gut health is, we're so passionate about it, and it affects health, all health in general, and it could genuinely change the world, and that we remind ourselves of that on a daily basis, our ethos is to empower gut health in everyone, and we come back to that all the time, because actually that's where, our, where we get the fire in our bellies and where the passion lies. Um, I think as well, like in terms of creativity, it's so much easier 
to be creative when you are transparent and honest, like Ink magazine, um, which I, I, I didn't even know that magazine was, apparently it's a massive group magazine, it was yesterday, and I had to do an interview with them, and they basically asked how we built a small brand with purpose. And um, all, all I could keep saying was like, you can pay marketing agencies, you can pay whoever you want, however amount of money, you can pay Facebook to have loads of eyeballs on your video, but the only way that you can um, build a brand that people trust is by being honest. And then we've always done that with the gut stuff. Like, we're not experts, we're on the journey with you, and it has to be a two way street. You have to ask your audience what they want and why, and you have to shape your business accordingly. And not in a cheap market research way, like, come and we'll give you some free products if you do the survey. Like, it has to be a real open, honest dialogue about what people need. And yeah, and I think that that's then, then you can be so creative in that space because you are just doing what you feel is right and you're taking the lead from from everyone else that is like your consumer so yeah and you can use as much blooming jargon as you want honestly some of the meetings were going and i'm like can you just speak the queen's english please because i don't i'm just like all these words are like a corporate all the corporate world is great and obviously necessary but i think that you're just giving people a service and that's what you have to come back to and you can put as much jargon and nonsense on it as you want, but that's the kind of honest, stripped back thing of it. I like it's it. It's an, an exchange. I feel like in its simplest form, that's what business is, and that's what it should be. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I often catch myself saying, you know, my gut feeling is, uh, could you illustrate this with your knowledge, uh, what you've learned so far on your journey to gut health? Yeah, I mean, I'm touched on how we got into it. Basically, we were the first people, um, we volunteered for twin research, mainly because you get like a free book on health test. And you, you find out, obviously, because we're so identical, um, we thought we'd be really interested to find out physiologically what was different between us. Um, it turns out a lot. Um, so Tim Spector, who heads up the research department there, asked us if we wanted to have our guts analyzed about five years ago. And we were like, yeah, sure, Tim. We have to do, and he's like, Well, you have to send your poo off in the post every day for two months. And I was like, Okay, fine. And uh, we had to have like three colonoscopies, so it's pretty invasive. And a lot of their volunteers are older um, and perhaps already ill, so they wanted someone young enough for it. And we were like, Yeah, brilliant, sure. Anyway, as we were going along, they realized that even though we have 100% the same DNA, we only have 40% the same microbiome. And for the test that we did, we had went through quite rigorous testing for two months. And we realised that we could also you can also change your microbiome in about two weeks. But your microbiome is just all bacteria and different things that live in your stomach and how they interact with your um, with your genes. And you, they actually outnumber your human cells ten to one. I think it's actually thirteen to one now. And anyway, as we were going through all this, we were meeting lots of different people from different departments, like Alzheimer's, immunology, epidemiology, and we were like, right, this affects absolutely everything um, and people were sort of like gut was still a word that people didn't really want to use it wasn't really that sexy because sort of it's an aesthetic thing and um, so we thought well let's do a youtube series interviewing some of the scientists uh, and then we're like oh we're not radio before they don't want to speak to us and then they're like we're going to speak to you because you're not radio before mm -hmm. and we were like why does nobody know and um, pharmaceutical companies weren't making money out of it firstly uh, because it's so personalised. Secondly, the language is so inaccessible. Even the word microbiome, I was like, what the hell is that? Um, and yeah, it was still quite well-being in general. It's still quite a middle-class luxury. And we wanted to change that. So we did the, the series in six episodes, turned into 32 episodes. And then we set up the website. Honestly, the website was so bad at first. It was 
literally, I've put in science papers on, like, posting other people's science papers on it. I landed the worst logo on Adobe Photoshop. And, um, yeah, and we just wanted to sort of, like, take people on the journey with it, as they said. Um, and then it's all just kind of snowballed from there. Like, the New York Times declared 2017 as the year of gut health. So, obviously, our website hits. We've got gut in the title. So, they kind of skyrocketed. And then we realised, actually, there is a massive gap between scientists, clinicians and doctors, and then an even more expensive gap, nutritionists and dietitians, and then the public. And because we've come at it from an objective point of view, we've realised that none of these people speak to each other. And also, our state healthcare system is built on um, a system that's obviously built on symptoms and not prevention, and that doctors don't have to have not even one hour, one hour of nutrition. So we're built, we've got, it's like an inbuilt gap that actually, at the minute, is a uh, luxury for the middle classes, nutritionists, um, and, and all the information that's out there are for people that can afford to have it. Um, and that, coupled with the kind of perfect storm of people like learning about what to eat on Instagram because it's worked for one person, like if we can't be sold the same diet and we've got the same DNA, nobody else can be sold the same diet. And personalised nutrition is happening more in the States and quicker over there because obviously people pay for their healthcare. Um, so it was kind of like the perfect storm of all these things, and we were like, okay, shit, this is a thing. And also the links between mental health and gut health. So the vagus nerve, um, we thought was a one-way street. So like as you said, when you have your gut instinct, or you feel nervous, you get butterflies, and we're realizing that actually this is a two-way system. And when your gut is in dysbiosis, or um, there's this term called leaky gut, which I don't actually like because it's getting a bit kind of um, people are using it out of context, but um, that when your gut isn't functioning properly, it can send signals up to the brain, and there's direct links with inflammation, depression, and all these sort of things. So we're just primarily trying to get the word out there, and we're an online resource at the minute. Um, and yeah, and, and it's an industry that is governed by big companies with big budgets, and I think that there is space for us, and people need and have to know this information um, because it affects absolutely everything. So I said it would be short. But <laughs> it's great, it's great. Um, so your DNA is obviously almost identical, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. But your gut biome is very different. So just to give people an example, even though they won't be able to eat the same foods you do, what, Alana, what can you eat? What can you not eat? And same for you, Lisa. So we actually just did a study we've just finished. Um, we were one of the first people in the world to do it. And it's basically a personalised nutrition study. So we were hooked up, matrix style. We had glucose monitors, we had Fitbits. We had apps that logged everything we ate. We had four scientists on call. Yeah, four scientists on call, blood tests. Um, so we could have a really good reading of what it was. Obviously, the general public, unless you want to sign up to study, which is free and you can do it, um, we can send the link. Um, then food diaries is the best way to go. So log in everything you eat and just see how you feel. Log in symptoms as well. Because the thing is, we never ever tune into our bodies unless we're meditating, sick, or we're hungover. You know, we never really tune in and say, how am I feeling today? Um, so that's one of the main things. And you'll soon, if you're, if you're logging all your food, you'll soon start to see correlations between when you're feeling good and when you're feeling not so good. Um, but also, I found, I was just about to mention um, quickly about intolerances and things, because that's one of the main things that we get asked. 
Intolerance tests online do not work. They are nonsense. Do not, they're like such a small percent of the UK population are, are actually celiac. The amount of people that think or have gluten-free diets when they don't have to is, I mean, it's the, one of the most common things that we get asked. So what do you think of sourdough bread, spelled sourdough bread? Because I'm from Switzerland and I know a couple of centuries ago, even a century ago, a mountain people would have uh, sourdough rye bread. So sourdough is amazing um, for gut health because of its ferment, like fermented properties. Um, so we, I actually substitute half all my bread with sourdough now. Um, but again, you know, for it's so personalised because some people can't stomach it, the, ferment, the fermenting of it and then the gluten or whatever. Um, but sourdough is definitely a big one for us. But in fact, going back to the intolerances, um, we because when people are feeling bad, they're restricting stuff so heavily, and because of what Instagram says, all this clean eating thing, we've actually developed intolerances. I think the first intolerance was um, in the sixties. Yeah, was was seen more or um, medically thing in the sixties. Mm. Um, so it's definitely something new, and also we've built we've, intolerances that come from. And we never we don't talk about this often because. I don't like to like guilt or shame mums that have people with cesarean and they weren't breastfed um, have high risk of allergies and also we have sanitised our country and western culture with hand rubs and emulsifiers in our food and we have become, we have lost a lot of the bacteria that we should have that we need to keep our guts healthy, keep our immune systems healthy mm. uh, and that's why we're developing so much intolerance is the thing. Um, but in terms of that study, so we found out that I actually break down carbohydrates really well. Um, so like when I had a KFC, it set me through the roof because it was too much fat. But Lisa actually breaks down fat really well. And so I mean, the opposite thing, so they basically measured when our glucose spikes. So that's like what your body doesn't like. Sort of mm. um, and I can have all the bad stuff, which is brilliant. <laughs> which is brilliant. The thing that I spiked on was like a salmon salad. So you could have a ketogenic diet and allowing you could really have that. And even just thing with fasting as well. So I fast quite a lot and it's a difficult message to for us to give in the gut stuff because um our audience is mainly young girls and to tell them not to eat is a very difficult message. Um but fasting scientifically has been proven to be good things. And um, so when I fast my glucose levels actually stay within range. Um, but Lisa's, when she was fasting for sort of longer periods of time, she was in the red zone. Like, so basically, I am are not hyperglycemic, hypoglycemic. So it basically means my blood sugar levels are low all the time. And when I, like, oh, Anna, when she peaked, we were up to 12, and I never got up to 5. So that's why I have to eat more. I have to choose much more carefully about what I eat, because when I spike, I dip very, very quickly after that. Um, and that could also be to do with um, my mental health, my moods and my anxiety because my sugar levels are really low and when they spike they dip quickly again. Mm. So my moods are obviously behaving uh, like gorgeous that and that was one of the biggest findings that we found in that study. I mean it's great and I support excuse me. Yeah, I'm being moody because my blood sugar levels are low, so and <laughs> um, Deal with it. Yeah, exactly. But it was we've always known that our bodies behave in different ways. Um but Every study that we do, we take part in, we're like always blown away by how different our bodies are. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, guys, we only have 
five minutes left, so I'm going to try and, and squeeze good bits in. Surf through, <laughs> snowboard through uh, five or six questions yeah. and see what we can do. Um, my first question, I'm kind of a, I'm a bit of a foodie, so I'd love to know what is your favorite gut-friendly dish? One that you can cook yourself, for yourself, possibly friends, and one that you'd get a Michelin-starred chef to prepare for you. Okay, so fermented food was something that we had never heard of before. Um, and now that we've discovered it, we always had like pickles out the jar, but actually they are not good for your gut because the vinegar are not good to, they're not um, fermented food. Yeah, yeah. Um, so fermented food is like a sort of like forbidden fruit for us. Um, so for mm. me, just adding anything, any fermented food to my meals is great. Kimchi, sauerkraut, um, having kombucha instead of Diet Coke. And um, so like little tweaks and um, kefir as well. Um, and I love going to restaurants. A lot of restaurants now actually do have um, fermented foods in the menu. And every time we go, we take a picture of it and it's pretty much every time we go out now. Um, <laughs> so I don't have a specific one, but I like to go to restaurants because they're obviously much better in the So a massive part of gut health is both fiber and variety. So the best way to get variety into your diet because basically you need lots of different bacteria and the only way to do that is to eat a variety of foods so 30 or 40 different plant-based veg is what you're aiming for in our a week yeah in a week in western society we only use um six i think on average and um, so we've got like a veggie checklist about if anyone wants it we've got a veggie checklist that you can tick off all week and i get like a, a veg box anyway if i was to get a michelin star i would be veggies lots of ways because I'm kind of running out of ideas about what to, <laughs> to cook my veg um, and stuff like radicchio and random things I actually got okra in my veg, in my veg box mm. uh, this mm. week um, so yeah just the more unusual ones so I can get my variety of how best to cook them would yeah that's what I would get a chef to do. Um, we actually have a really nice Jerusalem artichoke is like the king of fibre um, and we actually have a, a really good Jerusalem artichoke curry on our site um, that's amazing and it's super easy um, and super tasty. So we'll include uh, your, your website on the show notes, yeah. in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jerusalem artichokes make me fart. Does oh, it, they what? will do. Yeah, go is that normal? Yeah, go Does that mean that my gut health is not ideal? No, you're supposed to fart 14 times a day. Okay, but I'm I'm talking stinky more than that. And interesting, so fiber they are they are very mm-hmm. fibrous, so they have something called prebiotic inulin in them, which feeds your good bacteria, which is great, but yeah, it can be pretty gassy. So we always say like introduce them slowly, and yeah, and because people always go, oh I love it. yeah, check it out and just some artichokes and all this fiber, and they put all of it into, <laughs> into one dish to start off with, and they'll have sauerkraut on the side and kimchi and have a butcher, and you're like, whoa, 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 of Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> slowly. That's what I would say. Great. Okay, I'll, I'll try that. Then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any any books that you keep coming back to over the years, or just your favourite book, perhaps to keep it simple, so, gut health related or not? So, Gut by Julia Enders is amazing for the basics of gut health. It's one of the first, and we always refer back to it. Um, that's really good. In terms of a non-gut health one, you've been I've been reading Shoe Dog, which is the guy who created Nike. Um, it's amazing, like for business, just the way his story and journey and the way he writes is 
just made it. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're my two top books there. Um, if you're interested, uh, we, we can give you a list of reading books, but there's um, like the, there's loads of, loads of amazing books in the Gut Brain Access. Um, so uh, yeah, I can send you those put in the show notes. Uh, I always think with reading, um, I kind of make the mistake of trying to read like loads of self-help books and like, the minute I'm reading the magic part, I'm not giving a fuck. Um, and, uh, uh, but also, I'm obsessed with the Mitford sisters. I don't know if you know who they are. But, uh, and I won't get into them, but I, I sometimes think it's good to get, and I read their autobiographies, I read their letters to one another, because um, mm. they're fascinating. I just feel like sometimes it's nice to get lost in other people's lives. Um, and that's something that I use quite regularly because I'm obsessed with them. Um, just to sort of take myself out of my life because you can, you can like try and improve yourself all the time with the books you're reading and all that sort of thing. I think sometimes we're a bit too, um, yeah, is, is it, not egocentric isn't the word, but yeah, like self-aware. Sure, it gives you perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, one more question. Uh, if Alexa, the uh, smart speaker, could do anything for you just that one time, what would you ask? Uh, to empower gut health and everyone, just to give people even an ounce of knowledge, because a, a little bit of knowledge can go a long way. Like one in three people suffer from a digestive issue, and a small bit of that knowledge could literally change and, and cure them. So yeah, I think that would be my. And um, there's a Vadi Burns quote that is, um, it's in one of his poems. Uh, I'll be doing a disservice if I try and say it because I might get it wrong. But it's something about like seeing yourself as others see you. And I was talking about ayahuasca the other day to someone, and I probably just asked her about a couple of sentences about how other people see you. And I think that it would always probably be a positive thing rather than a negative mm. thing. Um, unless it was like, I don't do that, I guess, which is obviously not good. <laughs> but um, yeah, if I could ask her one thing, it would probably be that, I think. But you, yeah, you've done that. <laughs> great and um, well I think it'd be really uh, really great if people could find you uh, so if you have channels you want know, to mention websites events go for it cool so it's super easy it's just thegutstuff.com and all our social channels Instagram, Facebook, Twitter it's just at thegutstuff so yeah we're lucky we got all the domains so we got in there quick <laughs> <laughs> amazing Thank you so much. It was great. Have a good weekend and um, see you around. Yay, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, before you take off, I wanted you to know that most, if not all of my guests, meditate. Meditation enables you to switch on and switch off, a little bit like cats do. I prefer dogs, but cats are cool in that way. The thing is, silence and the spoken word can be difficult and it can limit us in what we can experience. So I would like to recommend meditating with sound. And you can now download my app, Third Ear, right away on the App Store. The app is filled with gongs and crystal bowls, meditations that I've recorded in the most amazing studio with quality microphones. So once again, the app is called Third Ear, all letters. You can do it for five or 10 minutes a day for a week or two, 
and then let me know the before and after by email or, or Instagram. I'm looking forward to having you next week for a new episode of Within Conversation. Thanks, guys.